celebration, but it was Jim, Jim Ryan who held the world's record for the mile for a long time, and I got to see him run. And it really was quite a shock to me when I, because I, I did imagine myself being sort of like Jim Ryan. And, uh, and so I saw myself on video, and here's this stubby little guy going, you know, strides about that long. So, But I want to thank this congregation for the invitation. This, this is a great series. Um, to identify the theme of a book of Scripture is a really important and practical way to study the Bible. And I know sometimes as a Bible class teacher, sometimes we get so involved in the details and trying to figure out, you know, like in Daniel, 70 weeks prophecy, just what in the world does that mean? And we kind of lose sight that it fits into the book of Daniel and into that theme. Uh, so that's, that's a, a, a great it's a great series, and I appreciate the series. The theme of some Bible books is a little bit hard to nail down. Probably the hardest one would be Proverbs because it just keeps switching and switching. But the book of Daniel is really easy to identify uh, the theme because God just tells us over and over again in so many different ways. And the way I want to express it is just about the way Nebuchadnezzar expressed it in Daniel chapter 4. And the theme of Daniel is that God's dominion is an everlasting dominion. And that, that was so important for those people. And we, we see that just over and over again. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, after Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, which he can't seem to remember and no, no one can interpret but Daniel. And it's about these four worldwide empires, and Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, Greece and Rome, but then verse 44, the Bible says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to any other people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And so when you think about the assurance and the confidence that we can have because God has established this kingdom now. In a sense, it was established all along, uh, but it, it's going to stand forever. And, uh, and so Nebuchadnezzar talked about that in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God because Nebuchadnezzar was getting very, very arrogant. And he lived among the animals, uh, lost his, in a sense, lost his humanity but when he comes back from that experience where he's out and, you know, the dew uh, wet, wet him and his hair grew long and his fingernails grew long. But Daniel 4, verse 34, the king says, I bless the Most High and praised and honored is him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And then Daniel chapter 6, we're almost through the intro here. After Daniel emerges from the lion's den, which really he went into the lion's den with the understanding that God's kingdom is everlasting. That's what helped make that important choice. But as he comes out, uh, Darius, the king at the time, says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall never come to an end. And so it's interesting that so often in the book of Daniel that this expression of the theme comes from these pagan kings. 
And all that they really knew about the kingdom of God is what they saw in Daniel, and they were so impressed with his faithfulness, which goes back to that confidence and assurance that he had, that they were able to see. We don't know how far they, you know, they really understood, but they, they made this, this kind of great statement. So I have a plan for the lesson tonight. First, I want us to examine why this theme is important. Because otherwise, we just get hung up and, you know, there's Daniel and the captives, and it was really important to them. Uh, it's important to us. It wasn't just the captives in Babylonian captivity. It's, it's still important for us to understand the endurance and the power of God's kingdom. And then I want us to look at how that theme plays out in the first half of the book. The book of Daniel divides just real neatly into the first six chapters or all those great Bible stories. The second six chapters are all those really difficult prophecies. So I want us to see how it works out, especially in those first six chapters. And then I want us to end up with how that theme is expressed in the second half of the book. So let's start with why the theme of Daniel is important. And you know, just the fact that it's in the Bible gives it significance it gives it significance to us because we believe that the Bible is true and we know that it directs our, our, our lives. But there's a deeper reason that it's important for us to understand about the endurance and the dominion of God because God's control is not always evident to us. In fact, a lot of life kind of implies that he's not in control at all. I mean, you know, people often ask this question, if God is so powerful, and you know, when I hear that question, I just, you know, start to cringe already because you know, you know, what's going to follow. Well, if God is so powerful, why is there pain and suffering? If God is really in control, why are there evil people in powerful positions? Now, how do you explain all the false religions and false doctrines even within Christianity? If God is really in control like you say he is, then those things really shouldn't happen. But they obviously do happen, you know. And some people reject God. Some people reject the idea of a powerful and loving God. Some people turn away from the Bible and its authority because so often it looks like God just can't really take care of his business. You know, if he was really in charge, things would be completely different sometimes uh, people think. And so we need reassurance. Those problems are only apparent problems. And the main point for this lesson is that we can have confidence that even when the world seems out of control, especially when the world seems out of control, we need the confidence of knowing that God is there, that he loves us, that he is in charge, that he knows how things are going to go, and eventually his, the victory will belong to him. And so the book of Daniel can help us with that. Consider the state of God's kingdom at the time Daniel was written. You know, if you ask the Jews back, you know, 600, 700 B.C., what is the kingdom of God? They would have said Israel. You know, our capital is in Jerusalem. Here's our territory. We have kings and all those sorts of things. And so what was that kingdom like at the time Daniel was written? Well, the nation was in ex exile in a foreign land. The capital city of Jerusalem where God's temple was, it was in ruins. The people had been taken away by force, and, you know, it just had to enter into their minds, how could this happen? 
here was this here was this this land this promised land and we entered into it and you know we should have been there uh you know all what happened to all those promises they might have said all the way back to abraham have we just been kidding ourselves has it just been kind of a delusion was it just wishful thinking that we would be in this land forever and the nation of Israel, at the time the book of Daniel was written, needed to know God is still in charge. His kingdom is still eternal and everlasting, and their captivity was temporary. They also needed to understand it was the result of their own, of their own sin. But more than anything, if you can imagine being a Jew taken away from your homeland in a foreign land with a foreign tongue and foreign gods, all those things around you, uh, they needed to know that God is still in charge. And you know, in a lot of ways, it's just about the same theme as the book of Revelation that I think is down the road here in the series of a couple of weeks. You know, it looked like Rome was in charge. It looked like Rome could just do whatever they wanted to the church, to God's people. Uh, They seemed to be in charge. And what Christians needed to know then and still need to know today is that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, Revelation 1, verse 8. And we need that same message of reassurance. Because doesn't it say, I don't even watch the news anymore because it's so depressing. And doesn't it seem like every day, every week, we're just on the brink of some major disaster? And we don't know if it'll come from Russia or from China or from North Korea or from ISIS or from Afghanistan or from within our own nation. And what we need to know is what Daniel 7 and verse 14 says about the Son of Man. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. We need that message because it it looks so often like it's been destroyed, like everything that can go wrong has already gone wrong, and maybe we were just wishful thinking. Maybe we just had, you know, delusions. But notice there in Daniel 7 and verse 14, It says that all people should serve him. And so God's authority and his dominion are meant to affect the way that we live. And consider what happens, whether we accept or deny this statement. God's dominion is everlasting. What happens when we accept that statement? It should have an impact on the way we work on the way we live, on the way that we treat our families. When we accept that truth, it starts, starts us thinking about, well, if God is in control, just what does he want? And how are we going to find out what he wants? Since he is in control, we accept that. Um, it leads us to obedience. It leads us to faithfulness without compromise. That's what we see in the book of Daniel so often. Because when we accept that his dominion is eternal then we just have to, if we believe that, we just have to start thinking about how we can make our lives fit into his eternal plan. And so we start searching the the scriptures for those promises. And we start searching the scriptures for those conditions that he would, would put upon us so that we can inherit everlasting life. 
and all of it's in there. We can find it. But also, on the other hand, consider what happens when we reject that statement. What happens when we deny that God's dominion is everlasting? You know, that's what the world says. God is in control. God's dominion is everlasting. The world says, there's no way. Look around. Listen to the news. Read the newspapers. There's just no way. And it's interesting how uh, aggressive atheists have become. Uh, if you go on social media, you can find stuff that they're saying. And, uh, one of the things that you know just kind of captivates me is they say, you know, you can have your imaginary God just like three-year-olds can have their little imaginary friends. Uh, you know, it won't do you any good. Well, if we reject God's dominion and authority, we don't obey. Except maybe where it kind of lines up with what we wanted to do anyway, then we'll obey, but otherwise we'll just do whatever we want. If we reject God's dominion and authority, we compromise. We adapt. You know, whatever our immediate circumstances are, well, you know, we don't, we don't accept. If we don't accept the statement, then we don't accept that there is one rule, that there is one way to, to look at how life ought to be. And so we just, you know, go with the flow. We try to get along with others. We just change along with whatever is happening. Uh, because what difference does it make? How many people have ever seen the, the movie No Time for Sergeants? Have you seen that? There you go. If you haven't seen that movie, I don't know if it's on Netflix. You need to rent that. Um, Andy Griffin is a you know a new recruit. He's just doing everything wrong. But the sergeant says, you're making waves. And he said, the commander is in a canoe in a great big lake. And he said, when you make waves, and he gets upset, don't make waves. That's kind of the message. If we don't believe that God's dominion and authority is real, then we just live so that we don't make waves. So God knows we need this book of Daniel. We need the assurance that he is in control and always has been, uh, that even when we have temptations, even when evil exists, even when there is, is suffering and unrest, those things are just a bump in the road that leads to eternity. And as long as we accept his dominion and the everlasting nature of it, then we can get through those things. When we don't, then we can be crushed by them easily. So we can see what the theme and the assurance of God's authority did for Daniel and his friends. It made a huge difference in their lives. So let's look second of all at the expressions of this theme in the first half of the book, Daniel chapters 1 through 6. The first six chapters of Daniel have some of the greatest stories of the Old Testament. You know, the fiery furnace, the handwriting on the wall, Daniel in the lion's den. And you know, to me, it's kind of sad because most often those are Bible stories for children. Lessons that we study in BBS. And, you know, they're for the kids because they're really interesting, and they are. And as adults, we may have kind of fond memories of those stories, but sometimes we kind of forget about them and what they really mean. So I want us to think about them, and I want, to think, I want us to think about the impact that they're supposed to have on our faith. And one of the great lessons of the first half has to do with life without compromise. You know, there, there are lots of things going on in the book of Daniel. Where I'm going to leave most of it out. But so much of it is centered on life without compromise. Because when we view God's authority as absolute, 
When we view his kingdom as everlasting and we're all headed that way in some way or another, it helps us keep away from ignoring that, that part of, of his authority. And so in Daniel chapter 1, the book starts off, there's this challenge with eating the king's food. And we don't really know exactly what the problem is because God didn't see fit to tell us exactly what the problem is. Uh, that food may have been sacrificed to idols. It may have been food that was contrary to the, you know, the law of Moses and the dietary laws that they had. We don't really know, but we do know this. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 says that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now you think about it. At the time, Daniel was probably a teenager. He was a pretty young person. He'd just been taken away from his homeland, which was, he seemed to have been one of the privileged people of the, of the nation. He's just jerked out of his nation, sent to another place, put into service for the king, and he decides, I'm not going to eat this food that they're serving me. Kind of sounds like the kids at camp. I'm not eating that, you know. But anyway, it wasn't that. And, and you know, in the first chapter, it doesn't seem like such a critical issue. It's not like Daniel chapter 3 where those three young men are called upon to, to bow down to an idol or forfeit their lives. Uh, so, you know, but it sets a tone for the book that Daniel decided, I- I'm just not going to do that. It would defile me. And, you know, it's easy to see how he might have explained that away for himself, how he might have rationalized and decided, well, maybe I can eat that food. Because, you know, after all, he's in a brand new country and he doesn't want to make too many waves. And he's been given a chance. Daniel is serving in Nebuchadnezzar's court. They didn't put him to work, you know, digging ditches or, or canals or something. He is a real privileged place. And uh, we don't know about the choices of the other Jewish captives. The book of Daniel really just focuses on, on Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, but what about those other captives? It seems like Daniel and his friends are the only ones that said, we're not going to eat this food. And they could have said, you know what, everybody is eating it. They don't seem to have a problem with this. Maybe we should just go ahead and don't make waves. But Daniel 1, 8 again, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. How do you think he came to that decision? It doesn't seem like something where he just got up one morning and said, I don't really like what, we're, what we got to eat. It seems like he understood the nature of God. It seemed like he understood the nature of God's authority and his dominion and his kingdom is everlasting. And so when we're faced with a temporary decision that has an impact only temporarily and an eternal decision, when we know who God is and about his authority and dominion, helps us choose in the right way second i want us to think about daniel chapter 3 the fiery furnace shadrach meshach and abednego again same temptation to compromise and this time without compromise they they would have avoided some some really terrible consequences because if they don't obey the king if they don't bow down and worship they're going to be executed they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And, you know, that's, that's a great temptation. Probably something that none of us will ever really face. 
You know, we face compromise and temptation all the time, but, but rarely do we have a, a decision to make where, you know, if I, if I go God's way, then it's going to be the end of my life. But that's how it was for, for these three young men. And they make one of the greatest statements of faith in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. They had already been singled out as not falling down in worship. Nebuchadnezzar was giving them a second chance, you know. Okay, maybe you just didn't understand what we're supposed to do here. We'll try again, and you can fall down. And, uh, and they said, no, we're not going to do it. And so Daniel 3, verse 17 and 18, listen to this. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. You hear that confidence there? Whatever happens, you know, it doesn't matter because our God is the real God. Our God is the one with the real authority, not, not you, Nebuchadnezzar. And they were, you know, they were respectful of Nebuchadnezzar. He is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, in other words, we're, we're, you know, you have the power to throw us in this fiery furnace. We think God's going to save us. Maybe God will save us through the fire, and we'll just end our lives. That happens to people, even in the Bible. But listen to verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden idol that you have set up. We ain't going to do it. And we'll throw you in the fiery furnace. It doesn't matter. We won't do it. But don't you know that you'll die? It doesn't matter. We're not going that way. So how did they come to that decision? I believe they came to that decision because they understood that the wrath of a king is only for a moment. And the king of kings is eternal. And so because of their understanding, they were able to choose the eternal. And you know, after they were thrown in the, in the fiery furnace, you remember that story, and it looked like there was somebody else in there with them. They came out, they weren't burned, they didn't even smell like fire. Um, Nebuchadnezzar came to understand how deep their faith was. And in verse 28, he talked about how faithful they were to their God, that they trusted in him and set aside the king's commandment. We don't know how many people were there commanded to bow down to that idol, but there was only three of them who wouldn't bow down. And, you know, it it was an awesome thing to go up against Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of the most powerful empire in the world at that time. He just didn't play around with him. And so they trusted in their God, set aside the king's commandment, and yielded yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own God. And so the king came to understand. In verse 29, uh, he made a decree that everyone in his kingdom would honor the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here's how, what he said, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Nebuchadnezzar got it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were confident of that before the plan to execute them. And Nebuchadnezzar, if they had compromised, Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have known. He wouldn't have understood about the dominion of God. He wouldn't have understood about faithfulness. And so if they had compromised, he wouldn't have seen that conclusion. So our acceptance of God's dominion teaches others and saves ourselves. And then one, one more in this thinking about compromise, Daniel chapter 6 
This is Daniel in the lion's den. It's a great test of Daniel's faithfulness. And you know, in this time, again, it doesn't seem so critically important. Uh, it's about prayer. And those who were jealous of Daniel, and there were lots of them because he just kept doing the right thing and getting promoted. And so those who are jealous of Daniel tricked the king into signing a decree essentially that said no one can pray to anyone for 30 days. And if you get caught, we're throwing you in the lion's den. And so that, that was a certain death. And so 30 days, think about that. Could you just stop praying for 30 days? Wouldn't that be pretty easy? You know, if, if it was going to save your life? Um, God would hardly notice, would he? If one person didn't pray to him for 30 days, it just doesn't, you know. Well, how did it come to make that much difference? Or, you know, couldn't you pray sort of secretly, silently? Did you ever pray while you're driving your car? Don't bow your head and close your eyes. Um, you know, you can just go along. Nobody, anybody passing by you, they don't know that you're praying. Um, you, could, you could do that in a way that, you know, nobody would really notice. Daniel could easily have avoided the lion's den. It would have been easy. It would have involved some compromise, but, but it would have been so easy for him to say, you know, I'm an old man. He's pretty old by this time. I'm an old man, and, and uh, maybe I can just quit praying. Maybe I can do it secretly. Uh, not his choice. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he understood what he was up against. He went to his house and when he, where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now how do you make that kind of decision? You make that kind of decision by understanding my communication with God is really important. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. I don't want to get out of that. I don't want to compromise in, you know, in any way to, to make myself get off track. And so I'm going to just do what I've always done. King Darius knew. He understood he'd been tricked into it, and he was sorry for that. And he did everything he could to save Daniel out of that lion's den. But when it came right down to it, it was either God was going to save him or he's going to be eaten by lions. But he came out of that lion's den alive. And Darius makes a decree that everyone would honor the God of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, verse 26, Darius speaking, For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall, shall be to the end. Kind of interesting for a king who is presiding over people in his kingdom who came from God's kingdom. They'd been conquered, but he understood uh, that was temporary. And then in the first half, we, we find some things where understanding the, the theme of Daniel promotes a real humility before the Lord. And we think about Nebuchadnezzar. He lost his reason because of his arrogance. And, you know, he had reason to be arrogant. Babylon was an amazing place. It was, you know, the hanging gardens of Babylon were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar just kind of presided over that. He was the king of the greatest empire in the world at that time. But he was warned in a dream that he could lose that. And he was warned by Daniel's interpretation of that dream. And you know what? He was okay for a year. For 12 months, he kind of held it together. And then, you know, when you've got pride inside of you, it just has a way of coming out if you don't, don't replace it with something. And so, you know, it seems like he forgot. He became arrogant again, and his kingdom was taken from him. And he lived among the animals like, a, like an animal. And Daniel chapter 4, verse 32, said, Daniel said, Seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know this really important fact, until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Who's in charge, Nebuchadnezzar or God? Well, Nebuchadnezzar would really have a strong feeling that he was pretty much in charge. That he, he was a great administrator. He was a pretty great warrior. He was a conqueror. And so, you know, who are we going to say got me to this, this, this position? Well, it would have to be me. God wanted him to know, no, it's God who's in charge. The ones who are in the place of power are there because God wills it. And, you know, after the lesson, after he learned about the Most High, he was restored to his kingdom, which is pretty amazing. He was away living like an animal for whatever periods of time that were, seven of them. But he's restored to his kingdom, and his kingdom is restored to him. In Daniel 4, verse 34, the king says, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. That's really the last we see of Nebuchadnezzar. And I like to think there's not a whole lot of evidence for it, not a whole lot of evidence against it. I like to think that Nebuchadnezzar came to the real understanding that God is really God. Now, we don't know. The Bible leaves it an open question, but, you know, I'm just naive enough to, to want, that, want it to be that way. That's the last that we see of him. His, his final statement is, you know, God's kingdom endures forever. And then after him comes Belshazzar, Daniel chapter 5. And Belshazzar should have learned that lesson about arrogance. He didn't. He knew about what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. It just didn't seem to affect him. Did you ever get that way where you think, well, yeah, that happened to him, but he did this and that, and I won't do that. I'll, you know, I can be arrogant, and uh, it won't affect me that way. So Belshazzar has a, a great big party, a thousand of his nobles, and they brought out the sacred vessels that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem. That temple where God's presence dwelt. Those vessels that had been used in worship to God, Belshazzar says, ah, you know, I'm reading into this, but I'm going to really show these guys at my party just, just what I can do. So he brings out the, the vessels, and he and his guests, his wives and his concubines, they drink out of those vessels. Daniel 5 and verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Can you imagine the mockery? Can you imagine his attitude about God and God's dominion and power and authority? You know, can you imagine Belshazzar's attitude about God's kingdom? He would have said, we got his vessels here. 
We have his stuff from his temple. We can drink wine out of it if we want to. But he was mistaken. This is that great story about the handwriting on the wall. And this hand appears and begins to writing, Meany, meany, tekel, a parson. And here's the interpretation that Daniel gave, verse 27 and 28. Meany, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. I, mean, I just imagine, here I'm, I'm the king of, again, the greatest empire in the world. And uh, what's God got to do with that? Well, he has everything to do with that. And so God numbered the days of his kingdom, and he said, okay, this is it. And then the next word, tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Well, what a terrible thing to hear from God, isn't it? I mean, we're all going to give a spiritual account before God. We don't want to hear those words. You know, I put you on the balance. I'm sorry, you're just short. By the blood of Christ and the grace of God, we want to be way on the other side. But he said, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And then Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And Belshazzar lost his life that night. And the kingdom was given to another people. It had been prophesied back in chapter 2, talked about in chapter 7. But, you know, there are just many more lessons, but, but I think this is an important thing. When we accept that God's dominion is an everlasting dominion, it helps us. It gives us confidence to face those temptations and say, you know, this may seem right, this may seem like I, what I want right now, but it's, it's just temporary. There is a, a kingdom of God that goes on for, forever. When we accept God's authority and power and dominion and sovereignty, it helps us do what's right. helps us to be faithful without compromise. And when we reject that authority, it leads to disobedience and wrath. So let's talk about the expression of the theme in the second half of the book, Daniel's 7 through 12. This is a lot more complicated to talk about. Because that theme is mixed in with these prophecies, and most of them are really difficult. I mean, if you, you look at a commentary on the last, uh, last half of Daniel, you'll find all kinds of things that people say, well, this is what that means, or maybe it means this. Uh, it's, it's pretty di- all of them are difficult. And so a lot of times our attention is focused on the meaning of that prophecy rather than how it fits into the, into the theme. Every chapter fits back into that theme. And so the idea of God's authority and his sovereignty and his eternal nature is in every part of the second half of Daniel. And one expression of that theme is that we all face a spiritual accounting. Daniel chapter 9 focuses on Judah and Jerusalem and focuses on Daniel. Daniel understands that the 70 years of their punishment is just about over. And he thinks about their accountability. The nation of Israel is in Bab- nation of Judah is in Babylon because they were held spiritually accountable for their sins, for their idolatry, for their disobedience of God's, God's word. And as Daniel notes that these 70 years are nearing an end, it doesn't really seem like there's an end in sight. I mean, we can count the 70 years, and Jeremiah said 70 years, and so, you know... God's, God's true to his word, but if you look at the history, 
just doesn't seem like that's going to happen. But according to the word, 70 years must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. That's Daniel 9, verse 2. And so Daniel begins to pray. Daniel 9, verse 4 and 5, he says, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. You know what? I have a feeling that Daniel didn't do any of that, but his nation did. And the nation was held accountable, and the nation was punished. And Daniel is saying, God, we know how great you are. We know how awesome your power is. We know that you can do anything. And so I'm praying that this 70 years will will end and our desolations will be over. And so even though he understood their sin, there's a hope. And there's a hope because God is steadfast. Can we believe God's promises? Yeah. Sometimes we believe just the good ones and sort of throw the bad ones out. We've got to believe all of it. It's all true. And so God has a steadfast love. In verse 16, Daniel's prayer, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from the city of Jerusalem. We know, God, you're in control. You can change it if you want. And you know that plea is based upon the eternal nature and the everlasting love of God. We can rely on it. Daniel relied on it. He didn't understand how it was going to play out, but he said, you know, God promised. It's just got to be true. And we can say those same sort of things. We can rely on God's promises to be true. We have to. What are we doing here if if we just kind of believe it? We don't want to just play around with it. We need a commitment that his power and dominion and sovereignty and glory are everlasting to everlasting. Daniel chapter 7, this, this is my last illustration. And whoever designed this building didn't put a clock at the back, so I don't know how I'm doing on time. Okay, well, I'm almost done. Yay! Um, Daniel chapter 7, the books are open. Daniel 7 is a similar vision to the one Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 2. And so we're looking at those four kingdoms that would come in succession. Uh, same kingdoms are involved. And, uh, and so in a way, D- Daniel 7 is an assurance. God knew what he's talking about when he revealed that in chapter 2. He still knows what he's talking about in chapter 7. And there's an opening of the books starting in verse 9, and it's about judgment and accountability. And it leads to a restatement of the theme, Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14. It says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So, in accountability, when we think about our responsibility to God, we've got to think about his kingdom. We've got to think about the everlasting nature. And the book of Daniel, just, it just tells us, you know, 
12 different ways. I mean, each chapter is an expression of that. So I want us to finish up tonight. There, there are more prophecies, especially in the second half of the, the book. And you know, there's just kind of an endless debate on the meanings of those and just when they will happen and what will happen. And uh, the last chapter surprisingly predicts that in this kingdom there's going to be some more trouble. In other words, we've pretty much trouble being captive in Babylon. We're going to come back. We're going to have restoration. The Son of Man will come. He'll establish this kingdom. It'll be great, but not the end of our troubles. Just like today, here we are in God's kingdom. We still have troubles. We still have challenges. And so even with God's watchful care, even with his eternal power, even with his sovereignty and control over everything, we still have temptations. We still have things to face. But the theme of Daniel remains intact. And that is, whatever happens, stay true. When it looks like God isn't in control, understand he is in control. When everything seems to be going wrong, stay true and stay faithful. And it ends with this admonition to Daniel. Daniel 12, verse 13, last verse of the whole book, says, But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. When we understand God's sovereignty, that means something, doesn't it? Go your way. When you face temptation, just stand up to that. Even if you fall, get back with God. Whatever you do, at the end, we want to stand in that place that Jesus has prepared for us. And when we understand who God is and what he's done and the power that he has to bring things to an end the right way, then we want to stand on that side. So I I hope that that has spurred some interest for you from the book of Daniel. It's, it's such a great book. And uh, I, I hope that in your studies that, that you'll think about, in your lives that you'll think about, just, just how committed we need to be. Daniel was ready to give his life more than once because God is eternal and his dominion is everlasting. So thank you.